Uh, Luke chapter 12 is where we are. Verse 35 is, is kind of where we'll begin, kind of, because I'm going to go a little bit before that. <laughs> In verse 34 of chapter 12, Jesus warns his disciples about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, that outwardly they appeared like they had it all together and they were doing all the right things, but inwardly they were full of greed and wickedness. And Jesus says, man, you've got to watch out for these guys. You've got to watch out for them. As they were looking at the crowds, they were obviously impressed by how many people were coming up to Jesus. I mean, there was just a lot of people uh, pressing around Jesus. But Jesus was saying basically that the yeast of the Pharisees had infected the crowds, that they sought a sign. They wanted the outward stuff, but they did not want to repent. And Jesus turns around and says to the, to the disciples, that, well, to add to the Pharisees, basically, that that generation is going to be responsible for the death of all the prophets until now because it was the Spirit of Christ within the prophets that was prophesying of the Messiah. You can read about that later in the Bible. But the point is that they had rejected those, those prophets. They had killed those prophets. And the ultimate hypocrisy was that they were going to kill their Messiah shortly. And Jesus said, don't look at the crowds. Don't look at the things that are going on. That is not what's going on. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks a sign and be careful about all the fluff. And you, as disciples of Jesus Christ, he was saying to me, as you follow me, you've got to be careful because it will infect you. Be careful. Don't be greedy. Because as they followed Jesus Christ, they were going to begin to suffer. They would go without money. They would go without clothes. They would go, people wouldn't like them. They'd be dragged before, um, uh, you know, the Sanhedrin or whatever it might be. And as they were brought before these places, they would begin to uh, obviously have to, to give an account for, for what they were doing. They had to have to give a reason. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're even going to say. I'm going to provide your food. I'm going to provide your clothing. I'm going to provide your money, the things you need. I'm going to provide... Uh, I'm going to provide what you actually even need to say at the time you need to say it. Just live fully dependent upon me. And that is what a, Jesus, uh, Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ is. Someone who just fully lives their life depending upon Jesus Christ. And he contrasts this by how the pagans live. The pagans live after the things of the world. They go to gather possessions and store them up. Now, I've got a garage still full of stuff right now, Okay that God's a get rid of. We're going to just get rid of it, right? You know, I got some stuff I got to get rid of. Anybody else have something like that going on? Yeah, Lord, you know. But sell your possessions and give it to the poor was the response. In other words, God's provision and His goodness is so good in our lives that we shouldn't live lives hoarding stuff and keeping stuff and to accumulate, to get a position so that I can... Our life should be totally different than that. We should be dependent upon Jesus, just knowing that He's going to take care of us because He's our good, good Father. Amen? And that should just blow the world away. And not only that, who cares about their, their opinion so much? That's what pleases the Father. That's how Jesus lived, who was King of kings and Lord of the lords, and yet, how did He live? Didn't even have a house, He was homeless. And yet God took care of all his provisions as he went along. Now, I'm not telling you all to, to you know, burn all your stuff. I'm just saying, be led by the Spirit on this stuff. The world's flow is going to push on you. The culture is going to push on you that I have to 
go to school in order to get an ed- education to get stuff to, so I can have retirement to take care of my family. So how many of you are on that trail? And I'm not saying that's sin at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, is that what your purpose in life is? Are you on that because that's what we're supposed to do? Do you need to own a home? Do you have to have a new car? Do you have to have the latest and greatest? I mean, how are we supposed to live in this world? I'm not saying it's wrong to to do those things, but I'm just saying, check your heart. Check our lives, how we're living. Where are we storing up our treasures, Jesus is saying. I know I'm speaking to Americans, right? This is is not a message we want to hear. But the disciples really, they they had to live it out. Many of us have, have gone down the road, have gone down the path, and how many of you have found that path empty? Anybody? And you struggle with it in your heart, like, what was all this for? It doesn't satisfy. Of course it doesn't satisfy, because you're part of the kingdom of God. And those things aren't supposed to be your focus. Those things are tools in His focus, His plan, His kingdom. Amen? And so then we find... I'll use my education to glorify God. And you go down that path and you go, the reason why I'm going to send my kids is so that they can articulate the gospel. Or the reason why these things are going on in my life, the reason why I'm going to get this job is because, man, I think it's a great opportunity to be able to be a giver towards the kingdom or to provide for my family to bless them so that they can go spread the gospel, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm crazy. That's what it's about. It's all about Him. It's going away, church. Amen? It's all going away. The chairs, the lights, the guitars, your 401k, you know, it's, it's gone. It's going. And there will be a day when, when you stand before the king and you'll give an answer for what you have done. And that's where we're going this morning. And Jesus is, you know, the one thing I love about going through the Bible just as it is, is you just can't avoid the hard stuff. It just, it smacks you in the face. And so, man, you know, I wish that preacher would stop being so negative. I wish that preacher would start preaching lighter stuff and nice stuff and good stuff and not talk about these things. Listen to what Jesus is saying to his disciples and how he phrases it. He's, he's using dire terms. He's, 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 ta- he's, he's going to the cross. He's, he's only got a few minutes left with his guys and he's, and he's speaking really important things. So, church... We're all headed towards that moment, and I think it's important for us to hear what the Lord says. Now, hopefully, if I'm saying stuff that's against what he's saying or whatever, you just toss that aside, amen? But listen to the, what Jesus says. The words in red are really cool, amen? <laughs> and so Jesus told his disciples, don't worry. Don't want you eat your clothes. These, your heavenly Father will take after you. That's what the pagans go after. That's what their lives are about. And I'm wondering, as I look at myself and as I look at the church, is that what our lives are about? The pursuit of material possessions, the pursuit of stuff. Because Jesus says that's what the pagans go about. Don't worry about that stuff. But you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? So that's the promise. Don't put the cart before the horse. Now, I think some people also take this, this verse when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And, and all is righteous, and all these things will be added unto you, is they say, okay, well, cool. If I just follow God, then, then I get my Learjet, and I get my health. No. no. <laughs> Jesus didn't have the Learjet, and he got killed. 
And, and if that's where our leader went, guess where we're going? Same path. Humility precedes glorification, so to speak. Being hum- We'll talk about that a little bit later. And so we ended last week in verses 32 to 34 where Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, little flock. You know, because the first thing we do is, is if I give, I won't have. If, if I live radically for Jesus, then I will go without, right? And their fear pops up, and so we don't take the step of faith, and we don't experience what the Lord would have for us, whatever He might be leading us in. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not, never fail, where no thief comes in uh, near or, or moth destroys. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so speak, So being a Christian is to have our hearts set upon the king and his kingdom, understanding that this world is going away. And all of our possessions are perishing, and so we're to live lives for the kingdom to come, which is eternal. It will not go away. Amen? Our Father has given us the kingdom. He's the source. He's the supplier. He's got everything that we need. And so we, rather than to hold on and pursue these things, we're to be givers rather than takers and hoarders. Isn't that interesting? Is your father a taker or a giver? Your heavenly father. Oh, he's a giver. That's, that would be one of the things that absolutely just defines him. For God so loved the world that he held on to his only son. That he what? He gave. See, love is an action. Love gives. And I want to love like he loves. Lord, teach me to give. What did he give? He gave what was most valuable for those that would be his, amen? So, in other words, our lives are to be about his kingdom and his mission, not the pursuit of more. And Jesus wants his followers to be without greed. He wants us to be like the Father, a giver. And see, when we hold on to things, there's either two, there's one of two things that I've kind of thought of that, that go on. One is I, I'm, I'm struggling with greed. I want to have more, or it's fear. One of those two things, greed or fear, usually are going on when the Lord, when I know I should be giving. In other words, when the Lord's telling me to do something. This is not a tithing on, this is not a sermon on tithing, you know that. This is just about a life, amen? And that's just one part of it. And so Jesus says there in verse 30, um, you know, don't worry about that stuff. That's what the unsaved run after. But then Jesus tells us what, to, what we are to be doing and what their lives are to look like at any given moment on any given day. And that's what we're, where we are today, verse 35. Jesus says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning Verse 36, like servants waiting for their master return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Amen? The disciples of Jesus were to be like servants, dressed for service with their lamps burning and waiting for their master's return. Jesus likens himself as that master who is away at a banquet. He's coming back. 
and his servants are to be dressed with the lights on. Now, in those days, they wore robes. Robes were long, and they still wear them over in the Middle East. And when you work, you, you hike it up around your, you know, your thigh, and you tie a knot, and that way you can be mobile and ready, right? So just be dressed for work, and don't be asleep. Turn your light on. Be ready at any time. That's how we are to live as Christians in an act of service. We're to be dressed, ready for service with our lights on. Amen? And that's his point. So this exhortation is us is we are to be soon expecting the return of Jesus Christ when he comes. He expects us to be busy about his business. We're not to be in our, our pajamas, you know, you know, asleep. We're to be awake, alert, and ready. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. And so, church, it would be good for him when he comes or when you are going to see him that you'd be found working and ready in his plan and his service. Amen? That's the exhortation. My question is, are you dressed for service and are your lights on? Or are you in your pajamas and you're asleep? These are things I ask myself. In verse 37, blows me away as far as incentive. It says, truly I tell you, he, being the master, will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. What in the world? What is that verse? It would be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of night or towards daybreak. Now, I don't fully understand this. I don't fully get it. It's saying that when Christ returns and finds his people watching for him, and this is demonstrated in that they're actively living for him, right? That Jesus himself will dress himself to serve and have those people recline at the table and he will wait upon them. That is unfitting in my mind. I'm going to be like, what do you want? Here we go. And yet we find that those people who are looking and waiting and expecting the return and living that way when Christ returns, somehow, my guess is at the wedding supper of the Lamb there in Revelation chapter 19. And again, I'm, I'm guessing on a lot of this stuff. But somehow that we are going to be served by Jesus at that moment. Now, obviously, the Scriptures teach that we serve Him. You know, eternally, we're His servants, obviously. We don't want to get that mixed up. But the very first act is that He serves us. Isn't that strange? It doesn't seem fitting, yet isn't that just who Jesus is? The King of kings and the Lord of lords yet the humblest of servants. The greatest in the kingdom, Jesus says, is what? The servant of them all. That is the nature of God. He serves us. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's not about equality. That should just absolutely humble our hearts and go, you are going to do what for me? And my response to that is like, Peter, oh, never. You could never do that. It's unfitting. 
says, let me do it. Chew on that. Have fun with that. Figure out what that, what that means. Again, I'm just reading what it says. But that just blows me away a little bit. And so are you dressed for service? Are your lights on? Verse 39. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house been broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you don't expect him. And so Jesus likens himself to a thief in the night. And he does this often because thieves usually come when you're not expecting it, right? This is no way speaking about his morality whatsoever. He's just using the example of a thief. If you knew when a thief was coming, you would have your lights on, you'd be ready for him. Amen? And that's what he's saying. Be ready for Jesus. Always be ready because you don't know when the thief is going to come. Always be living it out. Now, as Jesus was saying this, there was some confusion among the disciples, and so Peter speaks up. Oh, Pete, verse 31, 41. I'm glad he asked this. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? <laughs> Isn't that a great question? Are you talking to me? Is this, like, do I need to write this down? Or is this, is this for someone else? Is there going to be another test? But you can just imagine Peter's confusion. He thinks that they are going to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom, right? Uh, he thinks that they're going to, uh, you know, the, to be ruling shortly. He isn't thinking Jesus is going to be dying, even though Jesus has told him several times, we're gonna die, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised on the third day, let alone the resurrection and the return of Christ. That's just outside of his thinking at the moment. And so he's, he's are you, who are you talking to and what are you talking about? He just wants to know. I can relate. You know, anybody else? You read a passage of Scripture and you go, oh, that must be for someone else. That, oh, that applies to that person. You couldn't be talking to me, Lord. Amen? <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah. Maybe. So Jesus answers. And notice how Jesus answers. Of course, how Je- typical Jesus. I love this. In verse 42, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It would be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. And so Peter's asking, uh, is this about us? And Jesus gives another illustration about a faithful and wise manager who puts Uh, who the Lord puts in charge of his servants. The Lord is obviously the master in this. And or in some of your translations, it says Lord. How many of you have you said Lord? How many of you say master in your translation? Same word. And so uh, they're they're just translating it. Um, Leave the Lord our master. It's curious. That helps you this week. And the the faithful and wise master would be the disciples. Uh, who were tasked with tending and feeding the church, the Word of God. Jesus would say later to Peter, what? Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He was in charge of, of allotting, giving the allotment of the food of God to the people of God at their time. That's what Peter was tasked to. That's what those disciples were all about. They were going to go out and intend the flock of God, to preach the gospel, to take care of God's people, and to be faithful in the task of doing that. 
Now, I realize not all of us are tasked with with shepherding and eldering a church, but you are tasked with something by the Lord Jesus Christ to be faithful to in Scripture, whether you are a husband, whether you are a wife, whether you are a son or daughter, uh, whether you're an employer, an employee, all those situations, God has commands for us to be faithful uh, to Him in those situations. And they were to be faithful with what the Lord had given them. And verse 43 says that when Jesus comes and finds them being uh, faithful servants, and again, for Peter and the boys, that was, um, you know, faithfully, uh, being faithful to the Word of God, then they would be rewarded by being put of charge of all the Master's possessions. And we see that they rule in Revelation, they rule on the 12 thrones in, in Revelation. We see that. But faithful in this, faithfulness in this life will be rewarded in the next. Faithfulness in this life will be rewarded in the next. Faithfulness in this life will be rewarded in the next. Church, faithfulness in this life will be rewarded in the next. Amen? You got it? I have to repeat that because I need to remember myself. In other words, faithfulness in this life will be rewarded in the next. Anyone else? Okay. And we see this parable in the talents in Matthew 25, 14. You guys remember 25, 14? Let's, let's flip over there, Matthew 25, 14, just, just real quickly. It's off script. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Again, it will be like a man, talking about what the kingdom of God will be like. Kingdom of heaven, actually, in Matthew's version. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, to another one bag, and each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Notice it was each according to his ability. You're not responsible for what I'm given. I'm not responsible for what you're given. You're responsible for what you've been given. Amen? Aren't you glad? I don't want to be responsible for a whole lot more, you know? And when he went on his journey, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained his five five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And then the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his money. <laughs> Master's money. You're like, how many of you are like that? Oh, man, don't want to lose this. It's very important. Don't want to lose it. No risk whatsoever. And after a long time, verse 19, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the, uh, uh, brought the other five. Master said, you entrust me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of what? Many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What does it say in the New King James there? Same, same word? What was that? Enter the joy of the Lord. I, I love New King James. I, that's my personal study Bible. So when I read NIV, I'm like, okay, what does it really say? I'm just joking. <laughs> Nearly inspired version. I joke around. (laughs) There's a lot of great things here. But the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. 
And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Do we see the pattern? What God has given, they've been faithful with. They've worked it. They've done what they're supposed to do with it. And they stand before the master, and the master rewards them with more and entrusts them with more. You see, that's what this life is about. God's given you a bag of gold. And you've got to go work it out, invest it. You can't bury it. And when the day of judgment comes, you'll give an account with what you've did. And you say, Lord, this is what happened. It'll be something like that. God's doing a parable, obviously. And you will be rewarded based upon what you have done in this life. Do you know that? With what he's given you. And your ability to rule or reign or to comprehend or whatever it might be in the next kingdom is dependent upon what you do and how you live now. How many of you are going, oh, crud? (laughs) Yes, this is an oh, crud message. Gets better. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is. It belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, you should have put my, my money or on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest, even point zero 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 two or whatever it is right now. So take, back, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Take it out with Jesus. Those are Jesus' words. Are you talking to me, Lord? Or are you talking to them? Peter's not so silly now, is he? Who are you talking to? What's this about? And what Jesus is requiring of his disciples is what he himself demonstrated for them as we discussed at the men's retreat. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Let me read that for you. So Jesus isn't just telling them to do something that he's not doing. He's demonstrated he's lived it out. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And so this is the attitude that we should have as Christians. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Here we go. Here's the example. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or grasped. In other words, it was something that he didn't hold on to. He didn't hold on to his position, so to speak, is what, is what it's getting at. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in the human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, uh, Jesus humbly and faithfully served the will of the Father while he was on earth, and then he was exalted and glorified. We humbly and, and faithfully serve the Lord, and then we will be glorified. Amen? Today is the day of humility and obedience and suffering. Then we have glorification and rewards. That is what the Christian life is about. It is totally, absolutely counter to what this world teaches. What king in his right mind would ever put on a servant's robe and wash his disciples' feet? That is outer space stuff. That does not happen in the kingdom of man. People wash their feet. Jesus Christ is our example. And he says, you do the same. And you will be rewarded. Well, I can't get up there and preach, or I can't go be an evangelist, all this stuff. What has God called you to? What has he called you to be faithful with? Raising your kids? Loving your wife, loving your husband. What has he, what has he called you to? What is the field he's called you to? So humility precedes exaltation. Are we living our lives in light of that imminent return of Jesus Christ? The return of our master Jesus. Are, are you dressed to serve? Are you awake? Are your lights on? No matter what hour it is. No matter how long he seems to be away at this wedding. Anybody else have that thinking? Oh, gosh, it's been 2,000 years. Why in the world would he be like, he's not coming back? I, felt it, I find it very interesting in the book of Genesis. It's very subtle. But remember the, you don't remember Methuselah? You guys remember, he's the oldest man, in the, Bible, the person who lived the longest in the Bible. And you look at that and you go, why in the world would um, that guy live that long. And you find out their names, and you find out there's the gospel in their names, all these guys' names. And I don't want to get into it right now, but basically the day that Methuselah died is the day the flood came. And it was, it's in the language there, but the prophecy is that basically the day that Methuselah dies would happen to be uh, Noah's 600th birthday. That's why all the numbers are in there. You can do the math and find it out. His, Methuselah means his death shall bring. Bring what? Judgment. The flood. It came when he died. So why was he the oldest man living? Because God desires what? God doesn't want to bring judgment in one respect. In one respect, he can't wait. On the other hand, on the other hand he longs that people would repent and turn to him. So he's long-suffering. Aren't you thankful he's not quick-tempered? Praise the Lord. Verse 45, But so suppose 
the servant says to himself, Jesus says, my master's taken a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat others, other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not aware of it, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him in a place with the unbelievers. These are Jesus' words. Now, my guess is that after that statement, Peter isn't just the only one guessing is this, you know, about who it is. I mean, we're all going, well, who is this talking about? Is this us? Am I faithful? Am I unfaithful? Am I, what category am I in? Anybody else kind of wondering about this? That's why Jesus doesn't just lay out the thing. He, he, he lets the word just sit and he lets us wrestle with our own hearts. You see how the word of God does that? You come to it and you just want a yes or no answer. Am I saved or I'm not saved and all that type of stuff. And he just goes, what does your life show? Where are you? What's the fruit? And you're like, ah, I don't want to be there. Yeah, let's go this way. Yes. That's what he's wanting. Now, something that Jesus might be talking about the saved here and the unsaved. And the saved are those ones who are faithful and are rewarded, and the unsaved are the unfaithful and get cut in half and thrown into hell. I tend to think that's what he's talking about. I tend to think that the saved are going to be the faithful and the unfaithful are the unsaved. That's what I, that's, that's what I hold. You could probably read it differently, and, and we could be brothers in, in the Lord and kind of and, and disagree about what, what all this is. But that's the approach I'm taking. But notice that Jesus says that they're all servants. All of us, whether you're saved or unsaved, are accountable to God. You're accountable to God, whether you're saved or unsaved, and you will give an account with what you've been given. We've all been given general revelation, Revelation chapter 1, uh, Revelation Romans chapter 1, that general creation, the creation declares God. We're all accountable to some degree before Him with that. Then some of us have been given more light than others. But notice that Jesus is saying that they're all servants of the master, but the one who is watching and serving and the one who beats the other servants and eating is drinking and drunks, they are both servants. The master is coming on a day that neither are going to expect it. And isn't that true with death and with with what the scriptures teach about just Jesus will be coming back? Now, with, with watching and faithful servant, their lives demonstrate faith because they are living in light of the Lord's return and are loving people God has entrusted to them. Amen? There's that thing going on. The wicked servant, their lives are demonstrated by faithlessness because they are living for self, not following Jesus, but rather their own desires. And that shows that they have no regard for Christ nor his return because they did not live in obedience. There's just the obedient and the disobedient. Hebrews nails that out. If you want to read Hebrews, it just talks about the obedient and the disobedient. What happens when I'm disobedient? Well, we have a great advocate the Lord. But is that what marks your life? Are you a disobedient person to God? If you are continually, constantly, willfully disobedient, you need to start examining your life before God because believers are those who have crucified the flesh and have turned towards the Lord. And yes, sanctification is happening. We are constantly being made in image. God is working at the rough edges, but my heart isn't, no God, you're not going to have this. I'm going this way. 
It is, Lord, help me. God, save me. And Jesus says that those people who reject, uh, who, who live that way, who are identified by eating and drinking and anger and beating people and all that type of stuff, these servants, supposedly, they're going to be cut in two and thrown into hell. So don't think that you can say you're a follower of Christ. Live however you want at the last minute. Jump in and say, I'm going to be saved. That's not biblical. Jesus says, now is the day of inspection. Amen? And this is why the doctrine of the second coming of Christ is non-negotiable. Whether you're a rapture or pre-rapture or post-rapture, all that kind of, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And we are to be anticipating His return, and that should affect how we live because on that day, Jesus will expose us for what we are. He will expose us for what we are. Everybody else might be fooled. You're not going to fool Him. And today could be that day. And it could be a wonderful, wonderful day for you. Amen? Or it could be the day you found out you were never His. This is what it's all about, church. I know you're kind of like, get it over with. Listen, this is important. Not only for you, but the people that you are going to interact with. You're either in or you're out. You're either his or you're not. Real quickly, Peter speaks of the importance of living in light of the return of Christ. He speaks of it poignantly in, in 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 3. Listen to this. Speaking of the return of Christ, above all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come scoffers, uh, scoffing and following their own evil desires. So he has someone in mind. They will say, where is the coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything, everything goes on as, it since, as since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Speaking of the flood. Verse 7, by the same, world, uh, same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The old world was destroyed by water. The new world is going to be destroyed by fire. That's what, that's what Peter's talking about. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Methuselah then, grace now, long-suffering. Why aren't the evils in the world righted right now? There is a day coming. But he wants to save those evil people. How many of us? Amen? Guilty. Thank you, Lord, that you are merciful and waited. How many of you have family members, you know, just out of control, not walking with the Lord? You know they're on the other side of that, that equation. I want them to come to Jesus. Jesus, don't come back quite yet. Even though I long for your return, Lord, I want them to be saved. Oh, God, please help. That's his heart, too. He wrestles with that. I want you to come, but I don't want you to come. You know, I want you to be here and, and write this mess, but then again, I, you, want, you want to be saved. See, that's the heart of the Lord. It's both love and justice. That's who he is. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, Peter says. The heavens will disappear. The roar of the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, Peter says, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. That's the planets and the solar system, not heaven, heaven. And the elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Aren't you looking forward to that? Amen. And so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Wait a second. Once saved, always saved. Yes, absolutely. If you're saved, you can't, you know, can't be unsaved. But make every effort, He says what? I love those tensions in Scripture. You're saved, but you better you know, be walking tight with the Lord. That's the proof that you're saved, so to speak, on how you live. Bear in mind our Lord's patient means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with wisdom God gave you. So the believer's mark is life. Sorry, the believer's life is marked by anticipation of the return of the Lord, and they faithfully live that light that that life out. Amen. Not the unbeliever. Not so. And I believe that Jesus is describing unbelievers in verse forty-five through forty-eight. Three different scenarios, if you will, three different degrees of punishment. They all go to hell, but God justly punishes each. God uses execution for one, many blows for another, and few blows for another to, to illustrate those points. God is a just God. He's just in His rewards. He's also just in His judgment. That's how He is. Verse 47, quickly through this. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready, nor does, uh, nor does he not do what the master wants, will be beaten with many blows. So this person knows what God requires, yet does not prepare, does not do what the master wanted, and the punishment was many blows. A little less severe than the first example, which was execution cut in half, right? Verse 48, the third example. But the one who does not know and, uh, does, not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. This is the thing, this is the, re, this is the one everybody goes to and says, well, what about the person who doesn't know anything? Says, well, you'll be beaten with few bows. You're guilty because you've neglected God and he will punish you. Well, that's not fair. You, no, okay. You're the one walking around saying that we came from apes and they're, you know, all this other stuff. So he's given, at, creation screams for a creator. It screams for a creator. You've got to absolutely lose your mind to think something else. Something Life always came, comes from life. Just look at it. It's what we see. It's what we observe. But the point is that the more light you have, the more God has revealed to you, you'll be held accountable for that. For those of you who have been sitting under the Word of God for years and you know the doctrines and you keep the deep truths of the Word of God, you are expected to be faithful to what God has given you. You're accountable for more. Man, Americans are given a lot of light. Some of you have been exposed to less. Be faithful what He's been given to you. Watch and serve. You're going to be rewarded accordingly. Amen? Isn't that great? 
Some of you are new in Christ. You only know one verse, the gospel. You know? Be faithful with that. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. You'll be accountable for that. Be obedient. Watch Him. Follow Him. Don't lose that. Now, the degree of punishment for the other believer has to do with their exposure to the truth. For the Pharisees, they were exposed to a great amount of truth. And I think that's probably what he's talking about in this first group. You're going to be cut in half and thrown into a really bad place. And then he goes down there. But the disciples, they were entrusted with much, and they'd be faithful to feed and tend the flock of God, and they'd be rewarded accordingly. For everyone who has been given much will be demanded, uh, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So it's time for us to get dressed and ready. Let's finish this up. I have come to bring fire on the earth, Jesus says. How many of us want to hear that message? I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Fire is judgment in Scripture. Jesus says he longs for the judgment to come. Isn't that weird? And yet, what does the next verse say? But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it's complete. This fire speaks of that judgment and refinement in Scripture. Jesus longs to see the rebellion squashed. That's part of who he is. He just has a righteousness about him. He longs for the judgment of God to to be executed. At the same time, he longs that the saved will be saved. Amen? That's his heart. He wants to redeem, to be faithful to the Father's plan. The baptism he speaks there in verse uh, verse 50 is, where he would take the the divine judgment of God upon himself for all who would believe upon him and escape that punishment. He was longing for that. Verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? Oh, come on, Christmas song. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? Do you think Jesus came to bring peace on earth? What does Jesus say about it? Yes, peace on earth for those who repent. (laughs) Peace to those who repent and turn to God, right? He didn't come to bring peace. He's going to bring a sword. He says, no, I tell you, but division. Verse 52, from now on, there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother and daughter-in-law, and daughter against daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's where all that started, by the way. He said right there from now on. I'm just kidding. Come on. But seriously, there are two groups in God's eyes, his redeemed and the unredeemed. It's not family and not family. It's the family of God and those who are not. And how many of you are in families with unbelievers and light light does not dwell with darkness? It doesn't work. Two different things going on. This is what Jesus said, I've come to divide you, the sheep and the goats. But he longs that none should perish, but people will perish because they will reject the Messiah. And that's the sad truth. And that's why God's heart breaks. And that's why he's waiting so long. That's why he puts you in that family. That's why he puts you in that work. That's why he puts you in that school. That's why he puts you in that difficult situation with all those people who act like they're unsaved. Amen? Because you're the light. You're his plan. You're the one who's going to go live out in love as, he, as you're filled with the Spirit. 
You're either faithful or you're not. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain. It does. And when you see the south wind blow, you say it's going to be hot. You know, we do that here. Oh, look, a Chinook's coming. Look, at this is coming. We know that. He says, hypocrites, you know interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know and interpret this at present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right as you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, as you're going with the adversary to court, try hard to be reconciled on the way or your adversary may drag you to the judge and the judge will turn you over to the officer and the officer will throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. He's speaking to the crowd saying, you're at, you're having, you're at war with God. I'm here. Let's make a deal. You totally surrender. You repent and you'll be given forgiveness because we're headed to the courtroom. And you'll be thrown into a prison that you cannot get out of the doctrine of hell. Of course people don't like hell. Of course people don't like judgment, and they just want to hear about these things. But what is Jesus talking about here? It's not popular, but that is reality. It's a macroaggression. It's totally, it's against everything that we are as rebellious human beings. God says you're on the way to the judgment. Surrender, give up, judge yourself. Don't you see? Jesus is saying you're guilty. You're not going to be able to leave. And this is the good news, that mankind's adversary, his creator, that God, he made a way for peace with him by sending his son to die in our place, to pay our debt, our debt against God that can never be repaid. And by receiving Christ as your savior, he took the wrath of God in your place. By receiving it, you are forgiven. Not only are you forgiven, but you're now made a son. You're made a daughter of your former enemy. And he clothes you with his righteousness and his kingdom, and he brings you into the kingdom that will never end. And right now on earth, you are to be faithful and to live that truth out now. That's faith. You're to walk faithfully after him until he comes and gets you or until you go, go to him. One of the two is coming, and he will reward you when he sees you face to face. And that's what I want for our church. I want you to stand in front of your king, and he's going to look you in the eye, no one else, you in the eye, and he's going he's to see into all that you are, and it either be well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I never knew you. May it not be that second one. I want you the Lord, more importantly, is preparing you for that day. Be a faithful steward. Yes, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but faith without works is dead. Examine yourself. Amen? Lord God, have mercy upon us. I pray that if anyone has never received Christ as your Savior, this morning you know that you are a goat. You're outside of God's will. You've been living your own life. You've been lived in total rebellion. And you might have been going to church for years, but you're going, 
obviously I am not there. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now and we will pray together and you turn from your sin and you follow the Lord. We'll pray for you. Anyone there? God bless you. This isn't between you, me, and God. This is between you and God. I'm just pointing out the, the thing. Anyone else? God, I need to be saved. Anyone, this is speaking, I'm a hypocrite. God, help me to be faithful with what you've given me. If that's you, raise your hand to the Lord. Yeah, I think most of us. Yep, me too. Amen. You have such an amazing Father. Lord God, I lift up these people in this room. Your brothers, your sisters, Lord Jesus, your friends, the ones who know you. And we need help, Lord. So God, will you put us back on the straight and narrow path? Will you encourage our hearts this morning? As we anticipate your, your return, Lord, as we anticipate the day that we'll stand before you, Lord, with what we've been given, we ask for forgiveness, Lord, for not being faithful servants when we, when we haven't been. So forgive us, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. That we know that when we confess our sins, you absolutely 100%, they're gone. Thank you, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to repent, Lord, as we turn from our evil, as we turn from those things that are not of you, and we turn back towards you and live in holiness. Thank you for your sweet kindness, Lord Jesus. Lead us on. Lead us on. For those who have never received Jesus, cry out to him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm totally lost. I need you to save me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Take me now. Be my Lord. Take my life and let it be consecrated to thee, just dedicated to you. And Lord, for the hardest of heart in this room, would you, Lord Jesus, in your gentle, humble spirit, come in and love them and help them and encourage them. We desire that none would perish but all come to repentance. Now, Lord, we're your church. Speak and we'll follow. To your glory, Father. Amen.